many of us have ever forgotten why we walked into a room? <laughs> you don't have to raise your hands. I guess Chuck was going to be on it. How many of you have ever had your motives for being somewhere questioned? Um, show Full House, if you remember that show. There was a neighbor on that show named Kitty Gibbler. And she would always show up there in the show. She would show up and in just in the middle of a conversation, she would show up and she would end up, you know, they would ask a question and she would answer it. They would go look and they go, Kitty, what are you doing here? Do you ever knock? And she'd say, well, I used to, but nobody would let me in. <laughs> we, we all go through things like that. In college, there were people at the start of the semester who would ask themselves the same questions. I, I would laugh as an upperclassman because you would go into a class and you would sit there and the professor would walk in and say, you know, this is the Gospel of John, you know, class section 1301-2 or whatever. And you'd have about 10 freshmen get up and walk out because they were in the wrong place. They, they did not know why they were there. Uh, then you have those times where you've spent some amount of time doing something that disappoints you, like a movie or a trip that doesn't produce results, any number of things. This weekend, uh, we wanted to introduce the kids to My Fair Lady. I watched My Fair Lady before, you know, Audrey Hepburn. And uh, we rented it on Voodoo and you have 48 hours to watch it. And we watched the first, <laughs> the Avengers game, nothing on my fair lady. It's a three hour movie. I mean, you know, we watched the first half and we got tired because we're old and the kids are young. But we're like, it's time to go to bed. And so we forgot about it. And then Shalom said, that's somebody's house. So last night we're like, we're going to watch the rest of it tonight. And I turned it on. We had an hour left we could watch it and an hour and a half of the movie to go. So we, uh, we watched it, and we fast-forwarded through the intermission part, so that bought us a little bit of time, and then suddenly it stopped. <laughs> and we went, well, now we don't know what happened, so I bought it again. <laughs> Come to find out there were eight minutes left. <laughs> and Shiloh and I finished watching it while Carrie gave Asher a, a bath, and I had to make Carrie watch it afterwards. And it ended, and we went, Really? That's the kind of we've been there, right? You walked into a movie and you went, I just spent three hours watching that. Can I get that three hours back? You know, I, I went to town in order to find this certain thing and nobody had it. So now I've been gone four hours. We've all been in those situations where we're just kind of like, what am I doing here? Why did I do this? And as we begin this new year, I think it would be beneficial for us to ask the same question of ourselves. As we make resolutions, I'm certainly want to make sure that we're using the blessings of God the best way we can. So this week, I've been thinking about what church is supposed to be. And I'm using the term church this morning as the practice of attending church. Uh, why do we attend church? What's the purpose? What are we doing here? Uh, to examine this, we're going to look at a scripture this morning that you don't usually use talking about worship services, but in, in the midst of it, embedded there, there is some truth buried. And it's there in the book of Ephesians. Uh, Paul is addressing the church in Ephesus. He's talking about what life is supposed to be like. He has, he has discussed with them what his ministry is, that he has prayers for them. 
And he begins to talk about unity in the body. In the midst of that passage on unity in the body, we find our text this morning starting in verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 4. And said, he personally gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the training of the saints in the work of ministry. To build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into a mature man with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning, the cleverness, and the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. For him, from him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you and we praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask that you would take this time and use it for your glory. Father, use me as a vessel for the words that I speak be yours and yours alone. Father, thank you for loving us. So we ask all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. As we come to this text, we find that the purpose of the church is rooted in the work of ministry. Why do we come to church? That function has to be based somewhere in ministry itself. You know, that we, I've heard cases in the past from people that we come, to, we come to church in order to worship God, and there is some truth to that because worship is going to occur when the people of God come together. But that's not really why we should be coming to church. We, we make the case, and I've said it, we come to church for fellowship. We come to re-recharge. We come for all these different things. But the church really exists for one purpose. To make disciples. That's our purpose. We don't have any other purpose. We're here to make disciples. To, to, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. To share the good news that we have with those around us. That's what we are called to do. And making disciples takes on many different forms. But in the end, that is our mission. That's what we're called to do. And, and that, that happens through many different gifts and through many different works and through many different parts. And so, if our response for why we come to church is for worship and fellowship, my question then becomes, well then why do we do church how we do church? It's a lot of words, right? <laughs> if we only come for worship, why do we do worship how we do worship? Because there's lots of ways we can worship God. And, and even in, in Scripture, if we turn over to James, what James calls true worship has nothing to do with what we do here on Sunday morning. Because James says what? That true worship is to take care of widows and orphans. That's true worship. What? That's worship. So why do we do what we do? There are other ways. There are other formats. There are other songs. There are other prayer, prayers. There are other offerings. There's other teachings. Why is there a message? Why do I stand up here and do what I do? I mean, what is there for this? And we get so many times when we begin to ask these questions and why there's a message and why there's a pastor, we get into this, this thought of, well, that's why we hired you. The mentality we can have. And as we start here, there's these, this five-fold ministry. But the five-fold jobs of ministry here aren't just the hired guns of ministry work. Their job isn't to do all of the ministry. Their job isn't to do everything. It's, it's not just a dirty theological work. In fact, according to our text, our job is very specific. It's to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Man. Sometimes 
As a pastor, no matter where I've been, I feel like a failure when I read this passage. Because I can get up here and wax eloquent all day long. You might not think it's eloquent. <laughs> I can talk your ears off. But my job is to equip you for the ministry you have. And we walk this line here, and there are three dangers that we have that we have to address when we think about this. The first one is the failure for leadership to allow others to do ministry. Carrie would call that the workaholic in me. Those of us in leadership sometimes have a hard time not having our hands in everything. There's the danger there. That I may look at something and say, this is just easier for me to do myself. That's a failure on my part. Because if I just do something myself without allowing God to let someone else do it, if he has someone to do it, I've taken a blessing away from someone else who God has called to do it. The second danger we have here is the membership allowing the leadership to do all the ministry. It is easy to do. Now, I, I, read, I read a post this morning from a friend of mine who's really struggling about how, whatever percentage it was of pastors who lead the ministry. Not because they doubt their calling, not because they doubt God, but just because they're overwhelmed. Just because they end up just doing this. And it's, it's a combination of the two. Because when the leadership doesn't allow the membership to do what the membership's supposed to do, the membership begins allowing the leadership to do all the things the leadership wants to do. And it becomes a vicious circle. And then we have the third danger here, and that's the desire to be equipped for too long before doing anything. Do you know how often I hear the phrase, I really don't know how to do that. I wouldn't know, how, I wouldn't know the first thing about starting that. I wouldn't know the first thing about doing something like that. But the thing about churches, attending church, isn't like getting a college degree. It's getting on the job training. I've laughed a little bit at Donald here the past few weeks because he'd come in going, they don't even let me turn the power off. They want me to work on that electrical wire without nothing on the job training. <laughs> You're just thrown into the fire and you got to do it. That's what it means to be in church. So often we want church to be like a four-year degree or a 10-year degree or a 19-year degree or, you know, whatever it is. I want to be trained and I want to make sure I can do this and I want to make sure I get this done and I want to make sure I've got all my T's crossed and my I's dotted and that I know exactly what I'm going to do because I don't want to get out there and mess up. But here's the joy of it. Jesus works when we mess up. I don't have to know it all. I don't have to understand it all. I just got to do what God's called me to do. And that's where we find. We cannot live out and apply the teachings from the pulpit that that... That we, that we don't deal with. Because the work of the ministry begins when we know Jesus. <laughs> when we know Jesus, we start. And the funny thing is, and I think church leadership has caused this problem in the past 60 years. People get saved. And they are on fire. What can I do? Who can I share it with? And church leadership goes, well, let's slow down a little bit. And let's disciple you first. Why? 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 
We should disciple as we're doing. So often, we, we learn more when we're doing something. I'll admit, I learned more as a youth on mission trips than I did going to anything else. Because I was, I was in the work. I was doing something. And I began to see, oh man, this is amazing. The things that God is doing. The way that God works. Because these people didn't have this, but yet, but yet they're so generous and they're so warm. And they, I can't believe this. Some of the relationships that you make. Some of the doors that open. And so the work of ministry begins when we know Jesus. Not down the road. Not when you get there. Not when you arrive. Not when you had the paper in your hand. So, so what markers do we have as to whether or not we're being equipped? The rest of the sermon, I guess you could subtitle the Jeff Foxworthy School of Being Equipped in Church Ministry. Um, because these came to me as they, if, you know, you'd say, if you have more than three cars, if you mow your yard and find three cars, you might be a redneck. You know, that's kind of what <laughs> And as, as we read through this passage and we see what's going on and what, what God is calling us to, we begin to see things that have to happen in order for us to be the people that God wants us to be. And the first one of those things is if you're not letting the word penetrate you, you aren't being equipped. You can't be effective in, in, in ministry. You can't live out and apply teachings you hear from the pulpit or in Sunday school that you aren't allowing into your heart. If you come in and you take notes and you walk away and never look over or seek to apply those teachings in your life, you're, you're not being equipped. You're not. I mean, because our truth is that a penetrated heart is a changed heart and a penetrated life is a changed life. You know, if the Word isn't allowed to make changes, you aren't being equipped. Because the Word, when it begins to work, it's going to make changes and they're not going to be pleasant most of the time. They're going to hurt. And you're going to be like, but I, I don't want to do that, God. And God's going to be like, but it has to happen. Because this isn't where I've called you to. I have called you to more than what you were walking in. Because we walk so often in the things that we know, and God is calling us into the unknown. <laughs> you know, if you've been going along with our daily devotionals in the morning, Dr. Stanley talked here a few, few days ago about how God doesn't show us the entire path. He doesn't show us all the way to the destination. He may show us the destination, and we may know what we're going to get there, but He's going to show us what's right here. Because if He shows me between right there, I'm not going to go. Because I know what's coming, and I don't want to be a part of that. But if He shows me right here, I can take it one step at a time. You know, I've always said, how do you eat a whale? One bite at a time. Right? You just start. If you never start, you're never going to finish. If you don't just walk. And so we have to allow the word to penetrate us and to penetrate our lives. We first, I'm the first to admit that not every teaching will hit everybody in the same way. There are times where I have sweat over a sermon. I have shed tears over a sermon. And I come in here and I walk out and I go, oh, that was horrible. That was the worst thing I have ever said in my life. Troy, why did you say that? 
And then those are always the times when somebody calls me and says, that was amazing this week. And I'm like, really? You got something out of that? Because that had to be God because it wasn't me because I didn't hear the same thing you heard. Because every teaching hits people different ways. Some people will come in and it's the first time they hear it. Something I learned in my marriage is Carrie doesn't hear things from me. Ever. <laughs> Ever. Anything that's new knowledge, she does not hear from me. She'll come in sometimes and she'll know, do you know what, I don't know, some preacher, you know what they said? And she'll rattle off something and I'll be like, I've been telling you that for 15 years. <laughs> well, they just said it in a different way. It's the exact same words. But sometimes that's the way God works. Because somebody will walk in and you'll say something and they'll hear it like it's the first time. And that's just how it is. But for some, it's old hat. And I've heard that before. And then we quit letting it penetrate us. What we have to learn to do is when we come to the scripture, we don't read it as if I know what this says. We read it as if, man, this is the first time I've ever seen this. Because if we come to it as old hat, we're like that old bolt that's been rusted onto something. Right? You ever try to get a rusty bolt out of something? It didn't want to come out. So you spray WD-40 or any of that Loctite stuff on it, and you ink on it, it still didn't come out. So what you did, you put more on it. Keep going, you put more on it. That's the word. We have to let it penetrate us. And if it doesn't work the first time, go back. If that doesn't work, do it again. And if that doesn't work, you bring out the crowbar and the, and the, and the welding torch and you cut it off. Because we have to let the word penetrate us. We have to be penetrated. I'm the first to tell you that you're going to get out of worship what you bring to worship. If you walk in the doors thinking, oh, it's Sunday morning again, you're going to walk out going, oh, it's Sunday afternoon again. <laughs> if you walk in the doors thinking, man, I can't wait for God to move this morning, God's going to do something. And he's going to speak into your life, and you're going to walk away going, man, I've never heard that before. Even though you've heard it 45 times. <laughs> because that's how God works. And so we have to let the word penetrate us. If we're not, we're not being equipped. The second point is, if you're not actually seeking your gift or role in the church, you're not being equipped. God never meant the church to be a place where we come and sit. Never. He never meant for it to be a place where we just come and we sit and we, and we watch what's going on on stage. I think sometimes I think our biggest mistake as Western people as though we set up our sanctuary for the stage rather than a circle of the people in the middle. Because we set it up as something we watch when ministry in church is something we do. He meant the church is a place of equipping, a place of recharge, a place that readies us for our place of service. You know, sometimes I think that uh, Barry sneaks in and reads my notes. Um, <laughs> This week, I know he didn't because I didn't write this until Thursday. And he just picks the music out on Wednesday. Because I snickered this morning because Ellen asked him when he's going to retire. And he was like, I don't know, maybe next year. And then he's reading out the songs and he said, I'm going to work till Jesus comes. And I liked it that way. <laughs> retirement really isn't a thing we find in the Bible that often. At least not for men. 
Abraham didn't retire. The apostles didn't retire. They all, you know, they all got killed except for John, who was still writing out things like the book of Revelation until his late years. We're supposed to be constantly working and reworking where God would have us to be serving in the church body. We can't be, we can't be equipped if we're not willing to work. Haven't been around many law enforcement people in my life. They live by a rule when it comes to their firearm. Do not pull your firearm unless you're prepared to shoot somebody. Basically, it's simple. Do not equip yourself for a work you're not ready to perform. The same rules apply here. If we're not seeking how God will use us, we're not being equipped. We're not doing what God wants us to do. We have to say, okay, God, what is it you want me to do? Think about it. How many of us know that person? That person who knows a little bit about a whole lot, but they can't put it to work for nothing. They can rattle off everything to you, every fact that's ever been known, but they can't do anything with it. We don't want to be that person spiritually. We don't want to be the person who can tell everybody everything that goes on in the Bible, and we can go through every deep theology that there is, and we can rattle off the axioms of religion, and we can talk about the five points of Calvin, we can do all these different things, but we can't do anything with it. We don't want to be that person spiritually. If you're coming to church but not seeking how God wants to use you, how can you know which teachings are meant specifically for you? If God has called you to a ministry of prayer, the things we talk about in prayer are going to speak directly to your soul differently than somebody he has given the gift of hospitality. We have to be actively seeking what God wants us to do. Because God may be calling you to something that, that you need to hear, that, that you need to be equipped. You're here for your on-the-job training. You know, we've all been to those jobs where they say, okay, and they throw you in there and you're going, but I don't know what to do. I don't, what is this you want me to do? You have to be listening. And we can't listen if we don't know what the job is that God has for us. We can't know what it is that God wants us to do. So we have to be actively seeking our gift or role in the church. But also, if you're not leaving this room expecting to do the work of ministry, you're not being equipped. If you don't leave this room on Sundays thinking, I'm going to share this with somebody. I'm going to tell somebody about Jesus. I'm going to bless somebody because Jesus told me to. I'm going to go out and do this. If you're not thinking that way, you're missing something. You're not being equipped for what God has for you. And it may be a simple thing that God has called you to. Sometimes the greatest roles that God gives are very simple roles. They're very simple things. That without that job, everything else falls apart. Did you know it's almost impossible to bring a big load in through that back door if there is not a door stop to hold it open? Because nobody can stand there beside it and something go by. That doorstop is vital to the function of that, that atrium right there. It's vital. It has to be there. It's the simplest thing. But without it, we would struggle. Same thing happens in the church. There are little things that God be, God's job for you may be to call people once a week. And say, I just wanted to check on you. I just wanted to tell you I love you. I don't even know if I can pray for you. Just that one little thing. And you may think, that's just not much. But it may mean the world to somebody. 
You never know when in that moment that you call, that person is kind of in the lowest point of their week. And you've made their week. And you've changed their outlook. And you've given them something to look at. Because our brain processes things in two ways. Temporary knowledge and permanent knowledge. When you're going to school, there's a whole lot of temporary knowledge, right? All the students back there are going, well, yeah, because I have to cram for a test and I put it all in and it goes down the paper and I never think about it again. It's done. And that happens sometimes because we don't, we don't want to keep it. I, I'm, I, I, have, I have thousands of useless facts. And I don't know why they're stuck in there. I don't know why they became permanent and didn't stay temporary. I can remember, I can remember Mama's telephone number. She went out of the house when I was in sixth grade. But I still remember the number. Because that was the number you called if you were in trouble. I don't remember any of my home numbers because we didn't call those. If you, call, if you were in trouble, if you got lost, you called Mama's house. Because Mama could find anybody. That's how it worked. At this point, that number is useless. I'm never going to use it again. But I can't, for some reason, flip that switch. I can't erase it. It won't go away to this day. Things that make permanent knowledge permanent knowledge are the things that have value. That number had value. It meant something. It, it, it was there. And if we don't know, we don't know what we're going to use if we're not expecting to do the work. You know, in, in Rankin, my, my side hustle, my extra job, was I worked on computers. I did a lot of computer work. And people would call, you know, the office or my cell phone, and they'd be like, well, I've heard you work on computers, and I have a computer that's broken. My question would always be, what is it doing or not doing? Because I can't tell you if I'm going to work on your computer if you can't tell me what it's doing or not doing. I need to have that information. I need to know. Because I need some idea before I go over there. If I, may have to, I may have to refresh myself on what this is actually going on. And so I want to know. And I want to put that where it needs to be. The same is true in our lives spiritually. If I walk in here on Sunday morning and I think, well, I'm going to worship. I'm going to hear a sermon and I'm going to go home and I'm going to do the same thing next week. I'm going to let what's said from this, from this podium, this stage, and I'm going to let what's sang from this podium and stage come in one ear and out the other. Because I'm not going to apply it. Because it doesn't really have anything except for to make me either feel good or, you know, we, we have a... Uh, we have a fascination in our society with getting our toes stepped on. <laughs> because we like to say, ooh, that hurt, but then we don't take that hurt and do something about it, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. ever <laughs> went to Six Flags one time and uh, had a rock in my shoe. And you know, I could have solved that pain by stopping and taking my shoe off and taking the rock out. But I didn't want to do that. So I walked with the pain and complained about it all day long. Just because I didn't want to take the shoe off. That's kind of what we do sometimes when we hear God speaking to us. 
Our toes have been stepped on. That hurt, man. Man, that was speaking right to me. And then we walk out and we go, huh. I shared a meme here a few weeks ago on Facebook, on our, on our Facebook page, where it was, you know, the, the week spiritual life, right? It was like Sunday, we're all praising God. Monday, we're walking around. And by Thursday, we're going, what was that sermon about again? It's not just y'all. I'm not picking on y'all. I'm the same way. I'll look at Carrie up right now. Like, what about this last week? That's just the way it is. But we have to leave this room expecting to do the work of ministry, expecting that we're going to bless someone, expecting that, that God's going to give us an opportunity because he always gives us opportunities. They're there if we just look. They're there if we just look and we open our eyes and see. So often we just don't look at the opportunities around us or we fail to see them as opportunities. But I have one last question for you. If you're not being equipped, what are you doing? That's a dangerous question for a pastor to ask, but it's true. If you're not being equipped, what are you doing here? I mean, as a teenager, I used to sit outside a local convenience store. I don't know why. I just did it. Now when I go there, it's to buy something or get some gas. There's a purpose. What's the purpose? What's the purpose of, of church if it's not to be equipped? God wants so much to change this world. He, he wants to change this community. There are people not just around the world, but in our town who don't know Jesus. They don't. And the Bible is clear that if they don't know Jesus when they die, they're going to hell. They're not going to get there and say, but my good things outweigh my bad things. I should get to go. That's not going to happen. And here's the thing. You are uniquely equipped to share Jesus with a certain person. And I don't know who that person is for you. I don't know. But you are uniquely equipped to share Jesus with a certain person. There is somebody out there that I can preach to them all day long and I can share with them what God has done in my life all day long and they're never going to hear it. But if you talk to them, it's going to click. That's how God works. You're uniquely qualified. You have a unique relationship with somebody that's going to make them go wow. To this day, I still have a special relationship with the pastor who preached the sermon that turned on the Jesus switch in my life. Still there. We still converse. And I'm still finding out things that, that I never even knew. I didn't realize that I was literally... Well, I, the, he had been in that church 
or five months when I showed up, or six months when I showed up. And we look back now and think that was 30 years ago. 30 years ago. And I don't know why, because he said the same thing to me that several others, including people in my family, had said my entire life. But when he said it, something about him saying it clicked. God has a job for you. He has something he wants you to do. And it may be big. I'm not saying it won't. You, you may be the oldest person in the room and God may be telling you something huge. I'm not going to tell you not to. I mean, Abraham wasn't young when God said, go. Noah wasn't a young man when God said, build a boat. A cruise ship. <laughs> I don't want you to discount the small things God has for you to do either. You might not be the doorstop, but you may be the main beam that holds the building up. I don't know. God has something for you. And as we start this year, my prayer is that you will allow God to equip you for the things that he has for you to do. That as you leave here each week, you leave here thinking, man, the harvest is better. I just need to go out and find which grain I'm supposed to pluck. I just need to be there to be used by God. Maybe this morning, maybe you're sitting here offended because I've asked you that question. Okay. I'll pray for you. I don't know. Here's the question I have to ask myself each and every day. What am I doing here? Maybe this morning, God has been pulling at you to do something. Maybe God has been working on you and been telling you, I need you to do this. And you've been going, but, but God, I just don't know how. It's on the job training. Jump in there and ask. Maybe this morning, maybe you want to pray. The altar's open. I'll pray with you. Maybe you want to serve missions or ministry. Maybe you want to join this church of membership. Maybe this morning you've never known Jesus as your Savior. Maybe you've never known the one who, who came, who walked this earth, lived a sinless life, and died for you on the cross. Maybe you've never known the one who, who brings the whole body together and gives you your part and tells you where to be. You can't be equipped if you don't know Jesus. Now's the time. You walk this aisle and you say, Brother Troy, I want to know Jesus, and we'll go from there. But wherever you're at this morning, whatever you need, give it to him. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you. We praise you for your blessings.